Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Mike Barra is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a lecturer, television personality. His books have sold more than 70,000 copies worldwide. He began his writing career after spending more than 25 years as an engineering designer consultant for major aerospace companies. He knows what he's talking about. He was a card-carrying member of the military-industrial complex, but he made the switch. Mike, welcome back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, George. It's great to be with you. I was in Denver doing my Beyond Belief TV shows. I was just mentioning it and uh, watching in my room Ancient Aliens, a little extravaganza. And I, I'm telling you, it was the Mike Barra night. Yeah, that was uh, that was the Men in uh, Real Men in Black episode. Yes, you were everywhere. Yeah, I know. I'm, well, and then I was uh, there was some other show on Discovery about the Bermuda Triangle that I uh, I did the other that was on Sunday night too. So you know, you just can't avoid me, George. I'm everywhere. I'm I'm on you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes I'm on the whole week, every every night of the week. It's great. You're like a virus, but you're a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, am I a good virus or a bad virus? There are good viruses. Right? Seventy-eight years ago today, the Battle of Los Angeles. Yeah. What the heck do you think happened? Well, um, I can tell you what I think, and I can I can tell you what you know what what the facts are around it. Sure. And I I can also I mean I had a I had a real long conversation this morning with our our friend our mutual friend Sonia Grace. And yeah. Sonia and I talked about it, and I gave her all the evidence, and I said I think it's aliens. And what do you and your you know your friends up in the sky think? And um, she said, Yeah, aliens. So you know we can get into that aspect of it once we kind of go through the whole thing if you want or we can just talk about it now I don't well know. we're going to talk about a lot of stuff with you including they're discovering heavy earthquakes on mars these days i want to get your take on that but yeah let's get right into this thing first of all we were at war with japan right people were uptight and we felt japan might send some planes over and the closest was the west coast yeah, it absolutely was, and you know, at at that point, there had been a few events that had already taken place. The uh, not only, of course, the bombing of Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, but then we also had some incidents where the Japanese had actually invaded, kind of invaded the Aleutian Islands uh, along the Alaskan coast, and um, there was uh, supposedly rumors of an aircraft carrier off the coast of San Francisco Bay, Oakland, around that time. And there was, you know, basically sort of a a paranoia in the air. There were plans, and and actually they were carried out. There were plans to actually, you know, black out the West Coast, Seattle, San Francisco, uh, Portland, I guess, um, and and Los Angeles, where they would black them out at night so that the Japanese couldn't get a good um, bearing on the cities and, you know, where the military facilities were. Of course, you know, up in Seattle here, we had Boeing, which at that time was probably furiously working on building B-17s and B-29s and uh, anything they could get in the air to fight the Japanese. And, of course, we had an entire Pacific fleet, you know, except for the um, aircraft carriers that we had to rebuild that had been sunk at Pearl Harbor. So there was all these reasons why the Japanese were going to be after us. And then We'd also had, there had been a whole bunch of attacks on merchant shipping. I mean, uh, there, were, um, there were some ships that were damaged. The USS Camden was sunk. Um, the uh, Larry Doheny was sunk. So there was about, I think, oh, almost a dozen different episodes of Japanese submarines and Japanese warships 
attacking American merchant ships in the Pacific up to that point. So, you know, by the time uh, by the time the weekend or the week rolled around of uh, February 23rd, 24th, things were pretty crazy. And in fact, it turns out that um, on the 23rd, the day before this famous incident, at about 7:15, uh, at, at the same time that Franklin Roosevelt was giving a fireside chat, a Japanese submarine uh, surfaced right off the coast of Santa Barbara Jeez. and uh, shelled an oil field there near um, a town called Goleta. So um, there wasn't a lot of damage, but it was pretty unnerving to people. I mean, I think we felt probably more vulnerable as a country than we had we had felt at, at maybe any time in our history. In this Battle of Los Angeles, the, as they were shooting at something. Did anybody die during this episode? Oh yeah, actually there were there were more than there were five deaths at least that are attributed to the shelling and and most of it is because, you know, they they think that things people were there was just anti-aircraft artillery firing all over the place. So it was just falling on people and it stuff was like that. Fire. Yeah, there's actually one um, there's actually, you know, on the news, the newspapers are really hard to come by. They're not very high resolution, but there was, um, one case where I was able to look at some of the, the captions of the photographs of the LA times from the, the period of the, the, a couple of days there. And there was one that actually, um, uh, somebody had a shell come right through the roof of their house way up, uh, near Crenshaw, um, between the 10 and the 110 and the 405. So that's Jeez. way inland. That's over by Inglewood. And um, you know where downtown. So that that was that was an incident where there were shells coming down there. And the interesting thing about that is it indicates that you know traditionally we we tend to think of this thing as taking place kind of off the coast. But there were there was anti aircraft stuff being fired in towards downtown L.A. at the same time, which is pretty extraordinary. And apparently, naval intelligence on the twenty fourth of February talked about an attack could be expected within hours. Yeah. They so did, everybody they was uptight. Exactly. They did issue that, that uh, event after some other things that happened, especially I think it was the submarine that had uh, you know shelled the oil field the day before. So everybody was very, very tense. I want to issue uh, something to our listeners. Uh, this, of course, was 78 years ago. But if anybody was around then and you remember this episode, call us now. Get on the show. I want to pop you on with Mike Barra and just uh, explain to us what's going on. Uh, that would have made you 80 or 90, maybe even 100 years old. Yeah, pretty, I'm, pretty I, close to 100, I'm, right? I'm not sure there are many people left there, Mike, but my gosh, if we can dig up one or two, what a story that would be. Yeah, that would be a great show. Let's do that. Now, weren't they pinging when they were shooting the artillery? People could hear things being hit. Yeah, that's actually true. Also, there there were multiple reports of the sound of like metallic, like the shells hitting something metallic. And again, it, it appears that as you go through the sequence of events, that there were multiple different incidents. Like there were planes sighted over the city, or what people thought were planes, but basically are just described as as bright lights. And so, and then there was this, the main object, which seemed to sort of crawl down. Um, the coast there, right off, uh, right off the, the Pacific, right off the coast, that was hit multiple times. And when the people talk about the shells hitting that object, that's where you get these reports of just kind of a ping-ping bouncing sound of being hit. And I mean, some of these shells, 
uh, George, they were they were not small. I mean, there were fifty caliber machine guns. Jeez. Some of the anti-aircraft shells were these twelve point eight pound shells. Imagine getting hit with that at you know hundreds of feet per second or thousands of feet per second velocity. For it not to take something down, it had to be dang near indestructible. In the daytime, when the sun came out, where was the object? It was gone by then. Uh, the firing actually ended about 4.14, 4.15 in the morning when they kind of decided that the whole thing was over with and they stopped firing um, all the different you know weapons and stuff, all the different air- aircraft batteries up into the sky. So it had stopped by then, but you know everything, the, the um, blackout order was lifted at 7.21 and the sun would have been coming up right around that time anyway. Could anybody at night with the lights that they were beaming up there see anything? Yeah, there were multiple reports, again, of different objects. There were people who described clusters of small objects flying around. They were described as airplanes. At least they're characterized as airplanes, but the descriptions don't really sound like airplanes. They were these small sort of um, fireflies that were zipping around the skies over over L.A. Now, the descriptions on the, the speed of these objects was you know, anywhere from like basically very slowly like a crawl, which could be some sort of balloon, or, you know, over 200 miles an hour. So they weren't going super fast. And then, of course, there was the big main object, which ran all the way down the coast. And these things could be seen in the searchlights. And there's the very famous picture from the L.A. Times of the disc-shaped object with the dome on top of it. You know, there's about nine spotlights on it, and there's anti-aircraft flak going off all around it. And it looks like a flying saucer sitting in those uh, spotlight beams. I mean, clearly there's something up there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, too, if you, th- if you look at that picture, people say, okay, there's, there's, you know, people have try to argue about that photograph. But the fact is, is that, look, there was something physical there that all nine searchlights, spotlights had spotted exactly. and followed. There's no way around it. There had to be something there. And what could possibly survive that kind of shelling for an extended period of time? I mean, for three or four hours, it's just, it's crazy. Well, and if this happened to be a weather balloon, it would have got blown to smithereens, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, there, there's no way that, that that object, the main object, was a weather balloon. You know, George, it's really interesting. When you look at this case, it's almost like a parallel of the Phoenix Lights and that you have these multiple different objects, one of them which kind of flies over the city, and then you've got the objects that were over the mountains that some people think are flares, and you've got the scrambled aircraft. So you've got different sightings taking place at different parts of the city, one of which, some of which could have been balloons, but that one, the main object, absolutely was not a balloon. Who was the celebrity, Mike, who eventually saw this thing? Well, actually, there were there were a couple who experienced it. That is really really interesting. One of the one of the more interesting ones is DeForest Kelly, who later went on to play Doctor McCoy in the original Star ah, Trek. Okay, series. sure. Was he was not in the military yet? He was a young man, but you know, he lived in Los Angeles, trying to make a career as an actor. And he said that he saw the incident from Long Beach. Now, again, people have argued and said, okay, well, the main object didn't make it all the way down to Long Beach, but Kelly was in Long Beach. And what he said he saw was tiny white lights way up in the sky that looked like the formation of some sort, but they were at extremely high altitude. And people did describe some of these small objects up over around you know, twelve to 20,000 feet. So he saw those objects down around... Long Beach near the end of this whole process 
And then uh, John Wayne, re- reportedly, you know, the film 1941 that Steven Spielberg uh, made back in the, in the 1980s. Was that was, with uh, Belushi? Belushi, John Belushi was the star of that. Yeah. He actually, um, the, he had created a character, Spielberg had created a character for the movie um, uh, called General Still- Stillwell, and he wanted John Wayne to play it. And he gave the script to John Wayne, and Wayne said, forget it, I'm not doing this. It was nothing like that. And Spielberg said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I saw the whole thing. Wow. And I was around when those, he said, fake bombs fell out of the sky. At least that's the quote. There was no panic in Los Angeles. There were some news reports on the radio, and that was about it. So according to, to, to John Wayne, it was not a big deal at all. But, it, you know, he was way up in Hollywood as opposed to being down you know, Santa Monica, Long Beach, Redondo, Hermosa, down along the beaches there. He wasn't in that area. So Kelly apparently saw something pretty different down in Long Beach than John Wayne saw it in Hollywood. How would you rate this, Mike, with War of the Worlds that Orson Welles played on CBS? Well, I guess, you know, look, if you listen to War of the Worlds, I mean, it's terrifying. If you don't get right away that it's a play... It's terrifying to listen to. I, I can imagine that this probably was just as terrifying when it was going on, because imagine this, George. You're, you've got the war jitters. You're under pressure. There's you, you've been warned an attack is imminent. You've been warned that there is an attack coming within the next 10 hours. A few hours later, the sirens go off. The city goes dark. All the power is cut off. The entire city goes dark, and all hell breaks loose over your head with every anti-aircraft battery cannon going off and machine gun fire, 50 calibers, small arms fire, I'm sure, at, at these objects, these small object, objects that are darting all over the place, possibly some balloons, which you don't know what those are. You don't know if those are, are Japanese balloons or American balloons or, you know, whose are they? That's right. And, and then you've got this big object, which is described as like a blimp. And that's the interesting thing about the photograph is it, it does look like a flying saucer-shaped blimp, but there's no way it could survive that bombardment. So imagine all this stuff going up. I think it would be, be like War of the Worlds. It would be just as terrifying as that, thinking, probably thinking you're getting invaded at that moment by the Japanese. Did we send, well, of course, we were firing a lot of artillery. I don't, I'm not sure if we sent any planes up there at the time, did we? Well, we know we had planes on alert, but none of them actually went up in the air. <laughs> and thank God they didn't, because they would have got shot down. Oh, they would have got blown up, yeah. By our own weapons. I mean, we were firing off all the anti-aircraft batteries, plus, you know, 50 calibers and everybody with their with their machine guns and, and stuff. So any planes that were up in the sky probably would have been knocked out because, again, some of these shells and things and the people that were killed, they were all in the downtown area or Culver City or that area there. Um, and, and so there was, there was stuff being fired off all over the place. Think back about those, you know, those, to those videos from the Gulf War, the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War, where all the anti-aircraft stuff is going off over Baghdad, it's the same kind of thing. And imagine if you were a plane trying to fly through that at low altitude, you would have gotten creamed. Shock and awe. Yeah, exactly. Shock and awe. That's what it would have been like. It would have been unbelievable. Now, there were rumors we had 500 military troops at Walt Disney Studios in Hollywood and Burbank. Is that true? That is categorically true, yeah. In fact, they were stationed there because there was a lot of concern about the possibility that we would have, um, you know, the Japanese would try to damage the studio, destroy it, kind of strike at the cultural heart of America and, you know, create some damage. So, yeah, there were 500 troops there stationed not just because it was a good place to garrison some troops, but they were there to actually protect the, the studios. So these five people that were killed, they're minding their own business, and all of a sudden, what, shrapnel and 
pieces of the debris of the uh, artillery falls right on them and crushes yeah, it them? Would, it would be shells. You know, what goes up must come down and everything oh. is ultimately ballistic. And so, yeah, just stuff fired into the air. I mean, imagine you're sitting there in your comfortable house, you know, in, in Mar Vista or something, and a 12.8-pound shell traveling several hundred miles an hour crashes down into your house and, and stuff. So, so there was a lot of that. and I mean, five people actually I think is a pretty high number um, you know, it is. Given, given the circumstances, it's pretty crazy that five people lost their lives. And that's, that's what we know about it. That's what was reported at the time. And remember, we didn't have social media. We didn't have the Internet. So it's probable that the reports are actually fairly conservative in terms of how many people actually lost their lives in the whole thing. After the war, the Japanese government said, we have flown no planes over Los Angeles during the war. Yep. They categorically said that we did not have anything to do with this. It was not our aircraft. You know, whatever you guys were shooting at were not Japanese planes or any other kind of experimental aircraft or balloons or dirigibles or anything. So the question then becomes, you know, what was this big, heavy object that, that basically, and it, you know, George, the thing is it was first spotted on radar. 120 miles out. Really? Slowly, yeah, slowly moving towards Santa Monica, and then there were updates, and the alerts actually went off. Everything went. Crazy. Why didn't we try to intercept it then? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. I, you know, at the time, you have to remember we were very unprepared and we were very inexperienced, and so uh, and in shock too, probably. Yeah, and in shock, right? We had just been sneak attacked. I mean, think about think about the shock that we were all in after 9-11. I think most of us that are alive today can remember that, um, at least those of us that are over 30. And, and imagine, you know, translate that back into an even bigger threat, which is not just a threat of terrorism, but actually a complete invasion. And I just think we were, again, stumbling around trying to get our feet and, and not really very sharp. And then this thing, um, about 2.15, this thing is now only three or four miles off of Santa Monica, and, and that's when the green alert goes up, which is basically, you know, prepare to fire. And then the city goes black and everything, you know, goes crazy right after that. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.